In episode 61 of Into the Unknown, Yushan and I delve into the realm of financial doping in sport and what that means for the future of sport, whether we think it's a good thing, whether we think it's a bad thing. And we do try and offer some insight into things that could potentially help in the future. All that and more in this episode of Into the Unknown. Hi, I'm Yushan Su. And I'm Connor Campbell. You're listening to Into the Unknown. Welcome back to episode 61 of Into the Unknown. We hope you enjoyed the last episode. Hopefully, if you did watch it, you officially saw our faces for the first time ever on a podcast, not in real life. For those of you that have seen us in person, we do exist. We are not AI deep fake, um, which could be another interesting podcast episode. Thanks for clarifying. (laughs) Well, you can never be too sure nowadays. Um, we're not talking about AI today, even though I think that would be interesting. I don't know enough to have a conversation about AI because I'm not that intelligent. What's AI? Artificial intelligence. <laughs> that that I do know. That I do know. Um, so yeah, in the last episode, hopefully you saw the video. Give us some feedback in terms of the quality, in terms of the audio quality, the video quality, and also whether you thought that it added any more or took away. I am aware, and Yushan has made me aware, that there was no intro music. So I do apologize for that. I will do better this time. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, anyway. It probably takes away from the experience because then, you know, like when you read a book and then you watch the movie, the movie's never as good. Yeah, I do. That's no, we don't leave much up for imagination. I mean, that's basically every book that's been made into a movie, probably ever, I would say. What about Game of Thrones? Well, I mean, yeah, I definitely think up there, Game of Thrones is probably one of the more accurate TV shows. But I feel like that's also because George R. R. Martin had a bit more of a say in the direction of the the TV shows. Yeah, that's true. Um, and also similar to Walking Dead as well. Like Walking Dead was, well, a comic really. Like it's not really a book, it's more of a comic. And it was quite similar because a lot of times they'll make up like a, a kind of scene board and then they'll just follow along what they want to do. But like a comic technically is already a scene board, right? So they already know what they're going to do. They don't need... Yeah, so they don't even need a... No. A a story... What's it called? Storyboard writer. Yeah, they they already have the story. It's right there. They already know what's in the scene and how it's going to work. Obviously, there's loads of different elements that they have in (laughs) TV. But um, have you ever... And this is a massive caveat to what we're actually going to talk about. But have you ever seen Snowpiercer, the TV show and the movie? Not the movie. I don't think I've seen the movie. So the movie's got Chris I've seen Evans. the one on Netflix. Uh, I don't know if it is on Netflix, actually. That's a good point. No, no, I've seen the one on Netflix. Oh, yeah. yeah the TV sure. show on Netflix is a lot closer to the comics, which which originally, I think, were French. I don't know if you can get them in 
uh, the English language. I've not read them, but I've been told about this, that the TV show did a much better job of depicting what the French comic um, was trying to envision, whereas the movie was more kind of Hollywood blockbuster. And then, and they changed a lot of vital parts to the story. I mean, it was still a great movie. I, I Yeah, but it's much wanted... easier with series, isn't it? Yeah. It's just got more time. Yeah, actually... more time. And I suppose as well, like it's e- even with like a big budget movie, we just went to go and see Oppenheimer, which by the way, is amazing. Is it? Like, yeah, I, I, I was in points. I was like really feeling for feeling empathy for Oppenheimer and then at other parts it was like I wouldn't necessarily say anger but sort of like you know thinking like well you have to live with the consequences of what you've made you know like mm. you literally made um the destruction of mankind and although that was celebrated at the time I think imagine living through the consequences of knowing that you you have invented like you are death, basically. Like you've invented a new way of war. Yeah. But there's a really good point in it where they're sat down and they're trying to recruit him. I'm not going to ruin the movie too much, but um, he creates an atomic bomb. Whoops. Uh, I mean, that's not a spoiler though. That's like, <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know, there was one time I was watching Narcos and I was telling someone about Narcos and I was like, and I just assumed that the person knew about the actual history around it. Right. And I was like, oh, they did really well. Um, the part where Pablo Escobar dies. And he was like, what the fuck? You? Why did you give me that spoiler? I was like, <laughs> just go and read a book. Yeah. <laughs> or literally just Google it. Like everyone yeah. does. Pablo Escobar. Pay, pay attention in school, bro. Yeah, exactly. But um. Yeah, there's a really interesting bit in the movie where um, Matt Damon, who's one of the main characters, hires Oppenheimer for kind of the director of the Manhattan Project, which was the creation of the atomic bomb. And he says that after this, they're going to make me a general. And Oppenheimer replies with, after this, they're going to give me a Nobel Prize. And Matt Damon essentially just goes, why would they give you a Nobel Prize for creating like a war machine? And he said, because Nobel invented TNT. <laughs> and I, I don't know why, but like that's one of my favorite parts of the movie because I feel like that just, that really gives the direction for the, late, for the last half of the movie. Um, that regardless like they're going to be celebrated for creating a war machine which is going to kill Mm. as it did hundreds of thousands of people Mm. and still continues to do now but anyway on that uh (laughs) i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna set out a movie day where i won't do anything else that day other than watch oppenheimer barbie and mission impossible all three, all three in one day. Barbie is fantastic. I actually enjoyed Barbie more than Oppenheimer. Yeah, but you would though, wouldn't you? I mean, yeah. <laughs> What's that supposed to mean, bro? Um, 
No, I, I enjoyed it for different reasons, but we're not here to talk about movies as much as I would actually love to. That would be cool. Is this all going to get cut out? No, I'm not going to cut this out. <laughs> Sweet. This, this, is, this is all staying in. We're not a professional podcast. We're low budget, <laughs> family friendly. Well, not family friendly. We're a low budget. Well, that depends on the family. <laughs> I, <laughs> yes, I wouldn't be giving my kids this yeah. on their uh, listening list. Exactly that. We are a low-budget, friendly neighbourhood podcast, just like Spider-Man. Mm. Anyway, we're, let's get into the crux, the crux or the crutch of the main topic that we want to discuss today. We did an a episode. Crutch? The cr- I don't know. I think I might have just butchered that saying. It's crux, isn't it? Yeah, I'm foreign. <laughs> <laughs> with no context that sounds very peculiar <laughs> i'm foreign thanks for reminding us and right. a couple of well actually it wasn't a couple of months ago it was like february no it wasn't february it was like december wasn't it <laughs> anyway last year last season like, last season we discussed an episode called sport washing where we went into the idea that sport washing was practicing basically the laundering uh or sport washing is the practice of laundering one's reputation through sports like team ownership major tournaments sponsorships um and the idea of countries and politicians getting involved within sport uh but today we want to talk about a similar topic which has been on our radar, radar for, for, well, at least for me, for a couple months, which is financial doping in sports. So essentially uh, injecting cash or drugs. Obviously, cash can be a drug, which is an interesting topic of discussion. Can it? Well, yeah, because if cash can buy the best athletes, and you have a team like Nottingham Forest in the Premiership mm-hmm. who are only end up spending half a million, which, by the way, is still an absolute boatload of money. And then you have Arsenal at the top of the league spending 182 million in the same league. That's um, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem very fair in my mind. And obviously. I think the biggest example of that was when Leicester won the Premier League back, what was it, three years ago now? And I don't know how much they spent, but they they won the Premier League against all odds. And I suppose mm. that discount the conversation that I'm talking about. But I guess for all intents and purposes, the highlight that I'm trying to bring out is that, you know, Nottingham Forest, when they first moved into the league didn't spend that much money i don't believe um versus arsenal chelsea whatever whatever who were obviously established teams so in my mind if you have a lot more money then technically that means that you i wouldn't necessarily say you're cheating the system is not the right word because ultimately if you're a team that has had more reputation has had more time in the league and has been one of the best teams in the league, then obviously 
it's not an unfair advantage because you've earned that over the years of being a good team. But at some point, all of those big players and those heavy hitters are going to be the only ones that win the league, which for fans is cool. But for overall sport, think back to when when they wanted to create this idea of a Super League. Bro, the Premier League already is a Super League. In the last couple of years, we've pretty much spent more money in the Premier League than most of Europe combined. Mm. So we are already a Super League. Like, for all intents and purposes. But we're going to get into that. Um, To give you a little bit of background, I know that I've already kind of told you about it already. Um, We did a little little bit of research about this because we don't want to seem like we're like absolute idiots. Um, And I am hoping to get on a guest in the future. But um, essentially... Financial doping is injecting drugs into sport bodies. So, for example, Saudi Arabia buying Newcastle, Roman Ibrahimovic uh, owning Chelsea. Did you mean injecting money? Injecting money, yeah. What did I say? Drugs. Injecting drugs. Oh. <laughs> I was like, that's metaphorical. Yeah. That's <laughs> I meant poetic. Um, I meant cash. So... Yeah, I think it's it's an interesting conversation because it's like it's got to the point now where lots of teams are in debt and yet they're still allowed to continue to spend money that they quite obviously don't have. Um, so I'm interested to hear from your perspective, first of all, whether you think financial doping has impacted in a positive or a negative way, uh, just sport in general. And then I'm going to, I'll move on to the next. I've got like three or four sort of topics that I want to get into to see what you wow, think. It's very, it's very organized of you. I know. Uh, quick distinction though. It's, um, I think it's important to make that um, financial doping isn't, so it, it's specifically like when, an owner or or you know a a a an owning company or body um invests their personal wealth into the the sporting body or the franchise rather than relying on the revenue of the franchise itself yeah right so it's not like if one sport or one team makes a lot of money from playing loads of games or whatever and then using that money to put back it it's it's someone from the outside coming in and be like, okay, you can have $50 billion and uh, of my own personal wealth um, into the game. So, yeah. Um, is it a good thing? Yes. <laughs> uh, it makes sports richer and it makes the industry richer and there's more money going around. People are getting paid more. Are the right people getting paid more? Um, is it any more or less fair um you know in terms of the game itself um and you know who are the who are the people being sort of adversely affected by i think those would be the main sort of pros and cons to it because from the outside 
you know, there's more money going into these sporting bodies, be it football or F1 or rugby, you know, that there are, there's more capital, there's more investment being put into the sport. And that brings arguably, you know, more value in terms of basically if people are getting paid more, they could be performing better. Or if teams are having more money, they could invest more money into better resources for the team, um, be it sort of in the sense of training or, or facilities, um, you know, if, if quite simply, like if, if an F1 team has more money, they have more money for the engineers to pay for more expensive stuff and develop better engines and better cars, right? Um, yeah. Similarly, if a football team has more money, they have more money to buy better players and pay the pay pay the players more and give them more of an incentive to join their team and to play well. Um, the problem then is like, is it creating more of a disparity between the franchises and the teams or whatever that have a lot of money and have access to these individuals or these, you know, private corporate companies have, have access to them pumping money into them uh, versus the teams that don't, you know, is the gap between the top and the bottom in a financial sense becoming bigger and bigger? And is this gap affecting, you know, the level playing field as it were within the game? Um, and I think the answer is yes, also. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think you make a valid point that as long as the money goes to not just the organization, but to the people that help support the organization, but then that could be said for lots of other things. You know, we're not just talking about sport here, like, but the fact that we are like, as long as the players are getting paid fairly, which in football, we know they are, as long as the staff that support those players and support that club are getting paid fairly. As long as, you know, the staff that actually help run the stadium or, or whatever are getting paid fairly. And in, in a lot of cases, I would argue that they don't because I've been in that world. Like yeah. I've, I've literally, I work in that world. And that's one of the reasons why I work for myself now is because I feel like outside of, uh, this is going to sound like I've got a chip on my shoulder, but I don't. But to highlight the fact that, you know, players are getting paid 10, 15, maybe upwards of 50K to 100K a week. And they, for obvious reasons, are paid that because they're the ones that are bringing in the money. <laughs> but then to go and pay a coach that is making sure that they can play every single week less than what they get paid a week they're getting paid that in a year that to me seems criminally unorganized um and i think that i guess that's a separate issue in itself is it's not necessarily just about financial you know financial doping but i think it's important to have a distinction that i do agree that it is a good thing as long as it's actually used in the right way and it's not just gone to 
the shareholders or to back into that person's personal pocket where for all intents and purposes, if they've decided to invest in that team, then obviously they're looking to get money from that. But the financial doping is that they're using their own personal money and they are expecting some kind of personal return. Mm. Um, but yeah, one thing that I, I think has been interesting in the last sort of 10 years, and I have known this from the NFL predominantly, is this introduction of like a salary cap or a wage cap, which is an agreement or a rule that sort of limits the amount of money that teams can spend on players' salaries. Yeah. The NFL has introduced that. I think it's somewhere around $200 million a year which for the NFL, for a big team, that's actually not that much, um, to be honest with you, compared to a team of footballers, where a team of American football athletes, you might have, I don't even know, like 60 to 70 players, maybe 60 players. Um, in football, you'd have, what, 30? Maybe a little bit more. Anyway, um, so I think they are doing things like, They've realized that, yes, money in sport is a great thing because athletes get paid more and it, it, it helps the economy around the stadium. If they're doing the right thing, they can support the local, the local teams, they can support the academies, they can support, you know, even just like the local area around the stadium, um, pay the staff better if it's done well. Um, but if it wasn't a problem, then surely they wouldn't introduce a salary cap. Mm. Like if they've introduced a salary cap, then that to me is identifying that, okay, well then they might be earning a lot of money, but that money is only going to the players. It's not actually going elsewhere. Yeah. So, um, the point that I was making really well, I wasn't really making any point. I was just kind of backing up what you were saying and saying that I think it's a good thing as long as it's used in the right way. Um, yeah, but even then, like, it's like, obviously, you're going to go, as a player, you're going to go to the team that pays you the most. 100%. No? Yeah, 100% and, you would, yeah. And so, yeah, so in that sense, having a salary cap seems to kind of mitigate those issues a bit more where, you know, a wealthy team can just pay more to players and make it more appealing of a package for a player to join the team. Um, I mean, you look at, you look at in premiership rugby in 2020 when yeah. uh, Saracen, the whole Saracen scandal of them, yeah, the owner spent Nigel Ray spending more than the salary cap um in paying the players um <laughs> through it was quite funny actually like through sort of property co-investment and property development and stuff like that um like what other team would you be able to have like farrell atoje both vernapola brothers like all on the same team it's like obviously they're getting paid way more than they should yeah. be yeah in order to be like for them to just be there all together playing on the same team yeah um and yeah i mean you see the same in you see the same in football where there's no salary cap 
right? Um, and just pumping money. Like right now in F1, for example, there is no salary. There's no budget cap on how much a team can spend. Yeah. Um, on, you know, developing a car, on, on, yeah, all of the research that goes into making an F1 car and making it better each year. And so you see a massive, like massive difference, like almost embarrassing the difference between the cars at the top of the grid and the cars at the bottom. Mm -hmm. And it's always the same cars week in, week out at every race. And you wonder why it's because the teams with no money can't, especially a sport like F1 where, you know, money plays such a big role in just buying parts, you know, developing better cars. That all costs a lot of money. It's a massive financial burden. And teams that can't afford that just aren't able to, doesn't matter how good your driver is, you're just not able to beat um, Mercedes. You're just not able to beat Red Bull. Like, they just have the best cars. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. And I think F1 is an interesting one as well because they do spend a lot of money innovating technologies, you know, and ultimately, in my opinion, for a sport like F1 or even a sport such as equestrian where the amount of money that you have to spend on a weekly basis just to compete is horrendously expensive, <laughs> you know, and like that's always been the problem. You know, it's always been that horses are expensive. They're expensive to look after. You have to travel with the horses. You have to compete. You have to have all the stuff to look after the horses. I know, obviously, I'm just massively generalizing. I'm, this is so technical. Keep I'm going. not going to go into, like, every little detail. Um, <laughs> like, an itemized bill of how much you spend in a week. But, you know before like let's let's take a, a small team like a small team like well man united i guess used to be a small mm. team when they first started the outgoings probably would have been a lot for a team but for each individual once the stadium is built then actually for all intents and purposes the money that that team is playing is paying the athlete it just goes straight to them but actually for someone like f1 i'm not saying that they're not paid well they're paid fantastically well and i'm sure some equestrian athletes are paid fantastically well but also i feel like the balance is that actually yes they're paid well but also it costs a lot of money to have a team in f1 and a lot of money to have a team in equestrian because of the amount of money that you have to spend on such things like technologies, innovation, the staff, the, the actual, you know, the race car, you know, that sort of thing. Um, and the amount of people that you have to have in a team. I don't know how many people are in a team for F1, but it's, it's definitely more than 20. <laughs> like it's gotta be, I mean, like hundreds, one... bro. Like, yeah, it's ridiculous. It's crazy, isn't it? Yeah. But then you have to pay to ship it all over there. And this is going to make it seem like I have it out for soccer. For soccer. Oh, God, I'm turning into an American. This is going Stop. to make it... <laughs> Rewind. <laughs> this is going to make it seem like I'm out to get football. I'm absolutely not. But I just think it's important to highlight that some teams will require more money. 
some sports will require more money than others for the fact mm. that they they have a lot more expenditure than they would you know money coming in like how many people go to the f1 and buy a hamilton jersey mm. like most of the money i don't know where it would come from but i would assume that most of the money that f1 gets outside of injection of cash from investors and shareholders and you know other people that are injecting money into it their own personal money potentially they don't sell jerseys i don't know how much it costs to go and watch f1 but i think it's it's a little bit expensive but i think most of it comes from just tv rights like watching it on tv um and they only have what how many races does f1 have in a year i'm not an expert in f1 so i'm not going to pretend why why are you texting why are you testing me i don't even know like is it 16 is it 10 is it 12 <laughs> um let me have a little look see i mean there's there's absolute tons isn't there it's absolute tons of races i should really i should start watching f1 really shouldn't i i've been told um, that it's i've been told oh 23 there's 23 races so there's 23 races. You literally uh, just told me that you found it boring, by the way. I I do find F1 quite boring, but I have been told that if I watch Drive to Survive, I will enjoy it more. I would say, though, who watches F1? Like, who sits through a whole race? My dad does. The whole race, the whole, like, three hours? Yeah, he even watches... And then the, the day before, he watched the qualifiers. Oh, yeah, and he watches the warm-ups where they do the weird wobbly thing to warm up their tires and stuff like that <laughs> that see that's boring like <laughs> i don't know he, if he does it anymore but he used to he used to put it on every weekend he just put that on for three hours like mm. but that's the same as the test cricket test cricket oh, i love cricket yeah i do as well i like cricket but watching four hours of cricket is really boring yeah i mean i don't I, I think just watching four hours of anything is boring, though. Well, Oppenheimer was three hours and I was engaged. God. Although, uh, I suppose, watching that watching that three hours a week for the rest of my life, I don't know if I'd be able to do that. Also, let's face it, you don't really watch cricket on, on a TV. You, the only reason you like cricket for three, four hours is because you get and you have like 10 pints. Let's let's be honest. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love cricket. I mean, <laughs> I will say that makes it significantly less boring. <laughs> yes. But, you know, it's all part of the experience. Absolutely. Right. So going back to what we were talking about in terms of financial doping, I want to pick apart a few things. So on, they still haven't introduced a salary cap into the Premier League. I think it's something that they're actually discussing currently. Um, but uh, since 2021, the, the FA or the UEFA have actually introduced like a few new financial fair play rules, or at least they're, they're trying to, um, which is... I think it's essentially, I think the two parts that they were looking at when I was reading it, the first one was like transfer fees um, and wage level, just so that they could 
try and not necessarily monitor but mitigate paying someone you know four hundred thousand pound a week and saying listen if you join our team we'll be the best but actually one one caveat that i want to throw in there is just because a team has the most money doesn't actually always necessarily mean that it will be the best team yeah 100 100 exactly and i think that's that's an important distinction to make is like obviously i'm we're trying to argue for not necessarily for and against we're just giving the points and and sort of going into what 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 we think or our opinion of it and whether we think it affects sport but at the same time just because you have a boatload of money and you buy a load of good players doesn't necessarily mean that those players will work together at the end of the day like Okay, if you buy someone like Michael Jordan and you have a one we one for your team versus another player, then Michael Jordan would win every time. You know, apparently Michael Jordan has never won a one v one against his brother. Really? Yeah. That's I forgot where I read that. I think I read that on um in his memoir. That's but, crazy. Um, yeah. That's crazy. But if you were to stick him in a team, well, we all know if if you are a fan of Michael Jordan, he wasn't he wasn't the best team player. You know, like he, they won a lot of titles um, under Phil Jackson, but it was the team that made the Chicago Bulls the Chicago Bulls that we know, and Michael Jordan, yeah. Michael Jordan. Um, like, don't get me wrong, they were all impressive and fantastic athletes in their own right. But when you bring just the best athletes together, it doesn't necessarily mean that they are all going to perform together. Mm. You know, because ultimately they're good because they want to have the limelight and they're good individually. Um, so, yeah, so I guess that's an important distinction to make is like just because they are paid the most doesn't necessarily mean that they will work well in a team. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's just kind of, you know, money is only, you know, we say like, well, as a player, you'd only join the one that pays you the most, but money is only one element of, of a successful team, like especially in team sports, I think. Um, Yeah. There's so many other factors that you have to kind of, um, yeah, like how the team is formed, you know, the the team culture around it, you know, how yeah. well they work together and all those things. And that's why as well, like you see countries that pump a lot of a lot of money into sports um, on a sort of government like systemic level, for example, Russia um, mm. or, you know, yeah. Anyway, uh, let me just mm. retract what I was going to say in my head. Um, you watch those countries where the government puts a lot of money into systemically developing athletes and academies into becoming top Olympic athletes. They're always individual sports. Yeah. Like they, those countries will never excel or have never excelled in team sports. 
I'm going to end my point there. <laughs> yeah, that's that's very true. It's uh, I yeah, I I would agree with you. Actually, that's 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 a very important. That's a very good point to make. Actually, thank you. Um, and again, like I wouldn't have any instances of which countries are doing what, but I I you can see it. You know, you can see that it, it's, but it's also easier to spend money on those individual sports because for all intents and purposes you will most likely get a better return on your investment right mm. if you're paying 11 footballers 400k a week on the same team doesn't necessarily mean that they're all gonna play the game well like yeah. they you would assume they would because they're the best in the world but if you have 11 athletes let's say a weightlifter a gymnast and a question athlete whatever and you're all paying them 400 grand a week and you know that unequivocally they are one of the best in the world well then mm. your return on investment is probably much higher even if you even if you're paying yeah, that's the true, same amount, even if you're paying them the same amount because actually they're it's probably more likely that they're going to win their individual distinctive um sports than it would be if you pay 11 footballers exactly the same amount of money for one game a week yeah so actually yeah, it makes it makes more sense that there's more return on investment so then why is there so much money in team sports and not in individual sports i mean i don't think that's true i, I think there's a lot of money in football that's <laughs> There's, yeah, there is a lot of money. There is a lot of money in football. Um, but football is just football, isn't it? Like, yeah. I mean, I I do want to do want to say that I think without the amount of money that's in football, it probably wouldn't. It probably wouldn't have made football what it is, which is the most watched and probably the most played sport in the world. You know, which Absolutely. I think, which I think is a great thing. Like, there's so many people who are having access to football, that's not a bad thing. You know, that's, that's a great thing. But that's only at grassroots level. You know, it's fine that all of these people are playing sport but or playing football. But if there's a massive disparity between the top and the middle and the bottom tier, then that that is a problem in my opinion mm. you know because then it doesn't create any actual support networks for grassroots up to say the, the highest level um and although people will play sport they're not necessarily ever going to aspire to get into sport so then people have to look elsewhere for that talent outside of the country that they would pay like a good example would be let's say you know you live in england and there's 160 players in europe that are the best in the world and there's only 10 players in england that are the best obviously if you have the most money you're going to want to reach out to those european players and bring them into the uk but for the economy they probably aren't going to spend as much money in the UK as they would go and take that back to Europe and spend. Mm. 
and I know that's a separate issue in itself, but what I'm trying to say is that like, it's important to understand that just because a club can spend that money abroad doesn't necessarily mean that it should. Because the problem then would be that that money then that is spent from you know, a team that is bought from a country in the Middle East or in Russia or whatever it is, they don't care where the... And neither do we. Like, we don't really care where the, the athletes spend their money. But it would make an impact if, let's say, someone from the local town just gets bought for 200 million <clears throat> down the road at the biggest football club in the UK. Where's he going to spend his money? In the local area. So actually, it's it's better for that economy, right? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Do you want to get into that? I mean, yeah. Like, I think it. The reason why I want to bring that up because is because I'm not saying that you shouldn't reach out to outside talent, but what I'm saying is that it's it's it then creates it then creates like not necessarily animosity, but like if you just continually seek players that are outside of, you know, the local area or the national area or whatever, then what do all of the, the athletes do within that country? Where do they go? Well, I'm not saying it's a problem. I'm just posing. I'm just posing. Well, where do they go? They just don't make it. Yeah, ex exactly. But do you think that's fair or not? Because there's there's bound to be so much talent here that you could develop and potentially benefit in other ways other than just seeking to buy their best player because they're the best player in Germany or the best player in Denmark or Romania or where, wherever, it doesn't matter where they're from. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not saying it's no, not a really. problem, but I'm saying that it could be a problem if if it's not looked at in terms of like, okay, well, yeah, we could go and buy the best player here or we could develop a couple of athletes here. And I'm not saying they don't do that because they do, but I watched a really interesting video on this that to preface this, I'm not saying that you shouldn't buy foreign players, by the way. I'm just saying that there's a fine line between spending all of your money outside of the system you know or the area that you are mm. based in say manchester or england or europe versus looking further afield that actually would have less of an impact to the local economy because you're more likely as an athlete who grew up in manchester to spend money in the local area in manchester so it actually helps not just the club but also the local area of Manchester mm. or wherever it is, just an example. Do you see what I'm? Do you see what I'm getting at? I know I made like a really long-winded. Yeah, but why would you want to do that? Why would I want to do what? So, like, why would why would an investor pay the same amount to a less successful player to get less good results? Well, that's that's the point I'm trying to make. Is like, at the end of the day, like the argument that we're making is just because you have all of that money and you can buy the best player doesn't necessarily mean that you should. Mm. Because otherwise, th this was the issue creating the Super League, was that all of the best players are going to get paid exactly the same amount. What about everyone else? 
and yeah. yeah okay fair enough the investors are going to be like well i don't give a fuck about all of those i'm getting paid 20 million a week from owning this this team right but we're only thinking about the investors we're only thinking about what the players are getting paid but if you have tottenham barcelona real madrid psg and a couple of other european you know Bayern munich whatever into milan i don't even know i'm just chucking out uh, this is this is good I don't um, do that many teams. But like, let's say you're a local kid from Manchester and mm. you want to go watch Manchester United and they no longer play Everton. They no longer play Liverpool. They have to go and play Bayern Munich. Who the fuck is going to pay money to go and watch Bayern Munich every week? You don't have that money. So then if there's no money from those athletes going in to watch the teams, then who's going to actually watch the football? That's the problem. That's the thing that I'm trying to point out is that like... Wait, so you're talking about the Super League? Yeah, well, in a roundabout way, yes. But... Right, but... Uh, but, the how does that... but the creation of the Super League for all intents and purposes could potentially be avoided by, by us only thinking about buying the best players from other teams. That's what I'm trying to say is that like just because you can buy the best players and I know that sounds like a really silly thing to say because ultimately sport you want to have the best players to win but it's also important to understand that if you only ever have those best players and six good teams all of the other teams will suffer because of that. That is why we have stuff like financial fair play regulation, salary caps, is because all it does is just create a vacuum of money and power that no other team can, can have an influence in that. And so the only thing in sport then is how much money do you have? And I know that's always been a problem, but it becomes more and more and more and more of a problem till people can't afford to go and watch their favorite team. Hmm. Because they're playing PSG every week and then they're in Barcelona and then they go to Real Madrid and then they go to, you know, I know, <laughs> I know I've taken a massive caveat from like, from that, but I don't know. I, it's something that I've been thinking about for like. Well, I don't think, time. I don't think that is a problem with the Super League. The problem with the Super League is the fact that it's a closed league with no relegation. And so only six teams can be in it. Only six teams can ever be in it. And it's the six same teams. That's yeah. the bit that's unfair. It's like an, another team could be better and not be in the league. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it doesn't. It doesn't mean that just the six richest teams are in it because there are richer teams. Like, um, LA Galaxy is richer. Mm. You know, like there are teams with more money, um, maybe less successful. Um, there are teams with more money and are more successful or could be in the future more successful. And, and that's the problem with the closed league. Um, and, and with regard to what you, I, I think what your point is about sort of um, shopping local, <laughs> supporting <laughs> local produce, um, that can only work, I think, if there's a system in place that, like you say, there's a massive gap between the grassroots level and stepping up through the levels to the top level. Um, so why would the top teams want to bring in players locally that don't have the experience, don't have the opportunities, don't have 
the resources to bridge that gap and then so how do you bridge that gap oh, i don't know like look at ncaa for example like you that's a system that's actively trying to promote sort of bridging that gap between young talented players to opportunities of becoming professional um you know with with educational support with you know opportunities that they would never have gone otherwise um and then so then you see a lot less in for example the nba or the nfl um teams bringing in or feeling the need to bring in um players and athletes from different countries because they have such a strong system i know they still do but a lot less than say in football um because they have such a strong system and systematic process of producing <laughs> producing like homegrown athletes right and that's the only way you can kind of mitigate that problem um i think but that's exactly the point i was trying to make is that like i'm not saying that you shouldn't buy players from other countries what i'm saying is that it's also important to develop the athletes that are from you know from that area because otherwise it would just be a massive disparity between there is literally no one in this country that will be able to plug the gap and so what is the point in having sport in this country apart from at the top level if you can't aspire to be in the premier league that that's that's the point i was trying to make and okay what happens like, what happens then when um you you um buy from different countries but from countries that are um like less well off than you are then that's a good thing as well <laughs> but then you're also not giving the people in your own country the opportunities yeah i suppose there's a fine line between between the two like I'm not arguing that you shouldn't buy any players from another country at all. What I'm saying is that I think there needs to be a balance between the two. You know, like you can't, you, or you can, you can do whatever the hell you want, you know, for all I care. But I think, it's, <laughs> but I, I don't know. I, I just feel like, so a, a really good example about this, I know that you don't watch much weightlifting, um, but. Yeah, I do. Sonny Webster. Oh, don't mention that name on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, how do I put it this way? The last, the last weightlifting uh, world champs was was uh, in Colombia, right? And a couple of years ago, Qatar decided to buy a couple of athletes but they weren't they weren't qatarian they were colombian they were iranian they what? How, how else do you say it Qatar, qatari. qatari how would you say oh qatari sorry qatari but what happened was colombia were then offered the um the, the weightlifting world champs and an athlete that had been bought by qatar 
to move from Colombia to Qatar, which, by the way, I'm not saying is a problem. I'm just stating a fact that he was bought by Qatar. He then went to go and compete in Colombia for Qatar as a Colombian athlete. Do you not think that's that's mildly strange? <laughs> I mean, uh, well, uh, no. I mean, like, if the same uh, Colombian bred athlete married a Qatari and switched nationalities to Qatar and then competed in Colombia for Qatar, is that any different? No, it's not. It, I mean, it, it is different, yeah. How's it different? Because it doesn't involve money. <laughs> yeah, I suppose. I, I mean, I, I'm not disagreeing with you, but I'm just saying that I think there's a distinction between... It, it, it shouldn't always just come down to the fact that this country can buy that athlete, and so that athlete will move over there. Obviously, the athlete's going to be like, hell yeah. But I'm getting paid. Let's go. I'm I'm down. Who cares? Well, not everyone would do that. You're right. Not everyone would do that. And also, like you mentioned at the start, like, and we've mentioned a couple times, just because a team can offer you that money doesn't necessarily mean that you should or could take it. You know, like a really good example of that is watching. Um, I don't know. If, I know that you you've watched it before, but like the Wrexham FC documentary. Have you watched that? No. With Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney. It's really good. You should watch it. But a really good example of that is like they obviously invested a lot of their own money into this club, into this team. And a lot of the fans thought that by them injecting all of this money, they would basically just line their pockets after they saw a return. But actually what they've done is they've invested in the local economy They've, they've bought more fans into the sport, so now the team is earning more money. They actually bought a player for, I think it was like two hundred or 400000 And the reason why he decided to move to that team instead of up the road, who were offering a million, was because that was his local town. Mm-hmm. So I agree with you that it's not always, the athlete is not always going to just seek the money. But if the money is there, it will always be a problem. We can both agree on that. Mm. So, yeah, I, I mean, I don't really know the point I was trying to make, but to go back to the point I was making, I just think that it's important to invest in the, the sport economy, if that's even a word, of you know your country, but at the same time, if you have athletes that are better in other countries, I still agree that at the end of the day, if you've got shit players in your country, you're not going to want those players. So you will buy other players. I'm not disagreeing with that. And I think that's a good thing because it brings in better talent. It brings in new and fresh ideas. It brings in different skills. It's more exciting. Like, if we just had a load of British footballers play British football, it'd probably be really boring because British <laughs> football is, is actually not that exciting. I mean, it, it is, but it's, it doesn't have, like, flair, you know? And so I think it's a great thing. It's actually influenced the impact of, of sport around the world, that there's so many, there's now so many different 
you know, ways to play the game, not just in football, but <laughs> in rugby and, and so on and so forth. It's like there's distinct differences to each nationality and how they play the game. So it's not a bad thing, but I still think that it's important to highlight the fact that if all you do is look for the best player and that player is outside of that, you know, vicinity, then it doesn't actually support in the future, it potentially might not support that country because what happens if then another country is richer than, say, Manchester United, they then buy all of those players back from Manchester United and you've got no one at grassroots level that can fill that gap. Mm. So, yeah, I know that I, I eventually got to the point that I was trying to make, but... um. Yeah, that's uh, pretty much all I've got for you. I don't have a yeah, solution. No, Sorry about that. That's fair <laughs> enough. I, I agree. That is a problem. On <laughs> <laughs> uh, the next episode, how we fix this problem. <laughs> On the next episode, <laughs> we're all fucked. Um, but yeah, it's um, I'm not sure. I, how we go from there, I don't know. What I was trying to, like the point I was trying to make again, I don't really know, but I just, I saw it as a problem and I thought it would be an interesting conversation to have. Um, obviously from, from you, like being in, in an individual sport, I think you being able to offer that unique perspective of like F1 and, and, and also highlight the fact that on average, investing in an individual sport probably will, will have more return on investment in the long run if that athlete is the best in the world. But yeah, um, that's pretty much all I've got for you. My brain is now absolutely fried because I've no idea what I've just said. I feel like I've just switched off for about an hour and just vented. I, was... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I agree. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, money, money is a problem and also the solution. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. In, in a funny way, it's the problem and the solution. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so we will be hopefully looking at getting on a guest. Uh, don't mark my words with that. But um, we hope you guys enjoyed this episode. We know that we had very long-winded ways of putting some of our points, but hopefully we got them across. Uh, let us know in the comments whether you think that financial doping is should be allowed or not um and whether you enjoyed this episode thanks for tuning in we'll of course of course you've enjoyed this episode of course yeah it was a silly, that was a silly thing to say really wasn't it i think we can both agree on one thing that that was a great episode <laughs> <laughs> but guys thank you so much for tuning in we'll catch you in the next one of in the next episode of into the unknown peace <laughs>